Welcome to the Automotive Leaders Podcast, where we help you prepare for the future by sharing stories, insights, and skills from leading voices in the automotive world with a mission to transform this industry together. I'm your host, Jan Griffiths, that passionate, rebellious farmer's daughter from Wales with over 35 years of experience in our beloved auto industry and a commitment to empowering fellow leaders to be their best authentic selves. Stay true to yourself. Be you and lead with gravitas, the hallmark of authentic leadership. Let's dive in. It's time to deconstruct the Mary Buchseiger episode. I wanted a different perspective. I wanted to get a Gen Z perspective, a millennial perspective, a male perspective, and a female perspective from two rising stars in the automotive industry. And so I reached out to my friends at OESA, to the Young Leaders Council, and we are going to talk to Mary Mason from Airboss and Mark Eber from Woodbridge. In this episode, we'll talk about what they think about the leadership traits of Mary Bugziger. What actually landed with them? What really resonated with them? And would they work for her? I wanted their open and honest perspective. What did they like? What did they not like? What do they see as the future of leadership in this industry? Mary and Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks, Jan. Really excited. Thank you. Mary, you work for Airboss. Tell us a little bit about what you do. So I am a senior HR business partner with Airboss. I actually started as an intern a little over four years ago and have worked my way up. I support our employees with all kinds of different employee relations issues, benefits, um, that kind of thing. I work at a plant, uh, so support both plant and corporate employees. I graduated in 2019 from Oakland University. Are you technically Gen Z? Yes, I am. Mark, tell us about yourself. I'm the vice president of sales for Woodbridge for the America. So I have North America and South America. And Woodbridge is a provider of global material technologies. We do applications in automotive, commercial, recreational, packaging, healthcare. So really diverse customer base. And it makes it a lot of challenges, a lot of fun. I have such a, a wide berth outside of the auto industry and, and in the auto industry also. And you're not Gen Z, are you? I am not. No, definitely not. No. Uh, I think I am like the uh, the oldest millennial possible. I'm like the the wizard millennial, maybe, or something like that. <laughs> ah, but being a wizard with comes wisdom, right? Uh, you know, we're we're striving for wisdom still. I think <laughs> striving for wisdom. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're both here, and we are going to deconstruct the interview with Mary Bucks, I guess, CEO of Lucerne International. When most people see a roadblock, Mary Buxiger sees an opportunity. Her infectious optimism and willingness to step into uncertain situations have propelled her career in the automotive industry. What I want to know, and I'm going to you first, Mary, what was it about that entire interview about Mary's leadership that resonated with you the most? What really stood out to you? For me, it was the culture of trust and accountability that she fostered. I thought that it was really meaningful that they can call each other out in meetings, right? And say that, you know, you're off topic. We need to table this for a later time. That's something that I think a lot of people can work on, myself included. So I really appreciated her strategies with that. 
and the trust that she has with her team too. She talked about her senior leadership going for a couple of weeks without pay when they were going through a hard time. And to have that trust and that drive for them to continue to show up each day and really put it in 110% is very important. I thought that resonated the most with me. Yeah, those are two excellent points, Mary. I agree with you. And I know you're early into your career, but do you see that as a challenge in developing that kind of leadership and that, that kind of environment? I do see it as a struggle and something to really develop into the culture. It starts at the top, but you have to get buy-in from all of the employees, right? All the way down from the production workers up to the CEO. And building that structure of trust um, and accountability, I think, can definitely be a struggle. Mark, tell us what resonated with you the most. The trust thing was huge, and I I think we'll definitely dig into that quite a bit. But I really, I I loved her self-awareness. I'm an engineer. She talked about being an engineer and that kind of methodical approach of speaking with data, needing to pivot. And she talks about that that pivot when, we, you know, you've set this path forward and it happens to not be the path anymore. And that, you know, fearlessness to, to be able to pivot off of it. You know, as a leader, I think a lot of times people expect what you say to be the only uh, guiding light. And, and when you say, hey, look, I'm changing the guiding light. That's where a lot of that trust from the team has to come in. But I don't know. I love that self-awareness. And I think she seems to be a really resilient person. And I got a lot of strength out of, you know, what she said. And I've I've happened to have met her once or twice in the past. But I love that the strength, but not the toughness or roughness. You know, it's it's like a confident strength. She doesn't have to be mean to anybody. She's a strong, confident person, but she doesn't have to prove that in every you know conversation you have with her. So I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. You can be strong and direct, and you can be the CEO of an automotive company, and you don't have to be an aggressive asshole, do you? (laughs) Right, exactly, yeah. (laughs) I think it's a mindset. I think that in many auto companies, the model of a great leader has been somebody who has been overly aggressive. And quite frankly, somebody that says, this is the way it should be. And this idea of pivoting off because of something that's going on in the industry or something that's happening in the company and having the strength to say we need to take a different path, that's a real leadership trait. Talking about pivots, and Mark, this one's for you. Mary is a huge supporter of now onshoring with manufacturing. Now, I remember when I started my career, particularly uh, I'd say mid-career in purchasing, it was all about I've got 50% of my spend in China. Look what a great purchasing person I am. And now it's like, oh, not so much. I mean, it takes a lot of a lot of guts to actually make that, that pivot. But not only has she made the pivot, I mean, she's public about it. And she's taking action and making it happen. How did that land with you, Mark? I think it's, it's got to be a tough decision to make because companies invested so much time and energy in offshoring, like you said. There's been so much effort in that. And they've realized these cost savings for a very long time. We have all of the labor challenges that we have here. We've depleted our internal supply chain. And it's going to be a challenge to bring that work back here. But to see someone endeavor to do it, I think, is uh, is really what needs to happen. I hope more companies follow suit and you see more work come back here. I think if you're producing the goods and selling them out of this country to control the manufacturing, to have it be within the U.S., I think it's, uh, it's just so incredibly important. Mary, we talked about the trust and accountability and calling people out. Did you catch the bit where they, they'll throw a squirrel at her? Did you catch that? 
I did. I was actually thinking about picking up a squirrel and an elephant and kept putting them in our conference rooms. But what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, you're early on in your in your career. I, Mark and I both know that that doesn't happen. Mark, have you ever seen that happen in a meeting no, ever? No, I've uh, I've wanted to throw things at people in meetings before, but I don't think I've ever gone that far. So I love right, it. Uh, right? It was fantastic. But Mary, I'm very interested to know. You know, you're in HR. You're early on in your career. Tell us, how does that sit with you? What do you think about that? For me, it's kind of making it a lighthearted way to stop the conversation, put it back in its track, right? Because it's really easy for somebody to overhaul the conversation and to make it about their priority or themselves or whatever the situation might be. And it's really easy to distract and throw everybody off in the room. And then at the end of the meeting, you didn't get anything done. Or maybe you did, but it wasn't what you set out to do. So I think it's a lighthearted way, especially she talked about it had taken a while to develop that. But once you have that kind of camaraderie with your team so that they're not taking it personally, there's no offense taken. But yeah, you're right. I got a squirrel thrown at me. I was kind of going off track, I think is a great way of curtailing that behavior and to do it immediately, too. It's not something where you come up a couple hours later and say, hey, you know, in that meeting, you really are a little disruptive. It's important to stop it in its tracks. Well, it goes right back to your point about trust and accountability, because you, you can't do something like that. You can't just start throwing squirrels at people. And, and just for clarity, we're talking about a cuddly toy. We're not talking about an actual real life squirrel. I don't want to have 15 <laughs> emails tomorrow about squirrels. So, <laughs> But you've got to have trust for people to feel comfortable in a room where that could happen. That speaks volumes that the trust is there. But from an accountability standpoint, look, this is what happens, right? We're in a meeting. We know somebody's going way off track. Either somebody wants to be a complete asshole about it and call them out for it and show how tough they are, or people don't want to call the other person out. They let them go, particularly if that person is the boss. Nobody feels comfortable telling the boss, you know, I'm sick of your personal story of 30 years ago when you worked for a GM and built this tool or whatever it is. And nobody wants to say that. So, so what happens is you waste time. You waste time. The meeting is less effective. We have to be able to hold not only ourselves accountable, but to hold each other accountable in a positive way. And that simple little act of hurling a cuddly toy at somebody to signify that they're going off track and to do it in a way that injects some sort of humor, I think is very clever and very powerful. What did you think about that, Mark? Yeah, I, I took that note as well. I mean, I thought that the trust that that must take to throw a squirrel at your CEO or another member of the, whether it's a peer or not a peer, right? I think it's uh, just an incredibly brave move and the levity part of it's fantastic. And it's nice to break up a meeting with Levity, but really uh, holding a meeting is an art form anymore, right? There, there's so many of them. That's all we do is sit on Teams calls and Zoom calls and et cetera to be able to effectively run a meeting, to keep people on task, to have an well, walk into it with an agenda and to leave having accomplished that agenda. It's its own art form, right? So it's its own form of leadership. I think that to see her take control of those meetings or, or at least, you know, spice them up like that. I, I love it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. And she's saying to her team, look, you can hold me accountable to you and to the process and to the business. I am not above you. I am not above being called out by anybody. 
And that, again, is incredibly powerful and it builds trust and it builds psychological safety. And the number one criteria of a high performance team is psychological safety, where you can show up and you can put your ideas forward. And yes, you can throw squirrels. You talked about meetings, Mark, and we're in meetings all the time. One of the things that we struggle with, particularly in this industry, in in all industries, but I think more so in the auto industry, is that this idea of we love to be in the weeds. And we've got a lot of reasons to be in the weeds right now with chip shortages, supply chain shortages, manpower issues. It's very easy for leaders to push aside the strategic discussions, the longer term discussions. Where should this business be a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? And Mary has an operating system, which she got from the EOS system, uh, which is usually for smaller businesses, more like businesses like mine, like small entrepreneurs. But she started with that many, many years ago, and she still uses it. And that framework works for her. And she makes absolutely sure that they still have those strategic discussions, even when the world is falling apart, literally. Mary, how did that land with you? What did you think about that? I think it's really important. She talked about working on the business instead of working in the business. And I think that's a really clear distinction to make. It's something that personally I could definitely do as well. And it all ties back to that accountability that you're not going to reschedule the meeting because something else came up that, you know, every quarter you're going to meet, you're going to talk strategy. What are we working on the business? Um, And holding each other to that and not pushing it or not letting it go to the wayside. It's really the only way to drive a company forward, right, is to keep that vision and to continually check in, um, you know, meet the quarter, meet the year. I think she said three years and 10 year goals as well. But I really liked that framework of working on the business instead of just in it. Mark, you're a VP of sales. You got to be right. You're right in the front line. <laughs> how do you how do you do that? How do you keep your, your team focused on the strategic and the day to day? You have to be deliberate about it. You set those goals, whether it's for me, you know, sales targets or whether it's for a company, whatever your long term, your 10 year plan, your objectives are. You set targets and, and you measure against them and you hold the accountability piece of it. And if you don't plan for it and you don't put it in your calendar and you say, we're going to review this monthly, quarterly, and and you let people know what the expectations are, how to report out on that. What does achievement look like? What do we do when there's not achievement? It's a very collaborative and safe space to explore and meet these goals in a number of different ways. They don't have to be done the way the CEO wants them done or the way I want it done, but there's still a goal and, and people have to meet it and we're going to talk about it regularly and we're going to talk when we fall short and we're going to talk about how to make up the the difference. And when we don't, we're going to talk about, you know, the accountability associated with it. Mary is a female CEO of an automotive company and her husband is a stay-at-home dad. Mary Mason, what do you think about that? I think the support that he's shown her throughout the years um, is critical. It's often underestimated just how much work goes into raising a family and coordinating schedules and supporting your kids too, getting them to sporting events and choir band practice or whatever else they might be involved in. And it takes a tremendous amount of work. So for her to be able to rely on him and to travel out of the country and know that he's home with the kids, he's getting them to where they need to go. He's cooking dinner for them, whatever else they may need. I think that's an incredible support system that they have worked out. Yeah, and she openly admits it's not easy. 
And we banter back and forth about my experience in that area. And it is not easy. I think just you have to be two partners. You're in this together and there's no right or wrong who should work, who should stay at home. There's an agreement between two people of how life will flow for them. And it may change over time. Mark, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, I, w- I don't think I'd want to fight her husband um, or, right. or her. or her. Um, right. <laughs> we made the collective decision for my wife to stop working like about three years ago. And, and it has been fantastic. There's a, a number of great things about it, but it's not an easy decision. Like like he had a career and interests and et cetera. My wife is a teacher. She has a master's degree. She's very smart. She's very, very good at her job. We got to the point where travel gets to be such a huge part of the job and we're spending more money in daycare and after school programs and you know babysitters and whatnot. It just becomes a financial decision. And God bless the families that have two working parents. I, I really don't understand how the, how it's even possible. We've got two boys. They're eight and 11, super active, playing two sports at a time and all kinds of different activities. And we can barely keep up with them and their activities in their lives with only one working parent. So my wife is the absolute rock of our household. I, I don't know how, how we would do it without her. I mean, I think of the scramble that it was before the kids got as busy as they did. And I'm just so lucky that she's willing to put up with me and, and do all that. It's tough on that spouse. It's, you have to pause once in a while and remember how tough it is on them. And I, I tried my best to get home for soccer games and things and be a good parent. It's You got to stop and like, oh man, am I really a good spouse too? Am I stopping and doing what's right for for her and, and what she's done, you know, her kind of sacrifice for the family? Because I'm sure she would like to travel and do the things that I get to do for work as well. One thing I see changing And Mark, you can tell me if you see this or not. Mary, you would probably, what I'm about to say, you would expect nothing less, I'm going to guess, but let's see. When I started my career, if my daughter was sick, I would never say, I would never call into work and say, I'm staying home because my child is sick. Never. Because the the conversation would be, see, that's what happens when you put a woman in that job. They take time off to take care of the kids. Don't think for one second that that conversation doesn't happen. I've heard that conversation. So I didn't want to be the person at the, they, that they were talking about. Now, when I was in my last corporate role, I noticed that the, the younger men, the fathers, had no problem saying to me, oh, it's my, t- it's my turn. I have a sick child at home. It's my turn. And what that meant was, Both parents were working, but they took it in turns, taking the time off. And when I started my career, there's no way a man would ever do that, ever say that he was staying home to take care of a child. And so I see that changing and it warms my heart every time I see a man step up to his responsibilities as a parent. And you just said it, Mark, as a parent, as a husband, and understanding that you're a whole human being there. There's this thing called life and there are many facets to it. You can't be all work. Have you seen that, Mark? Have you seen that change? You know, I I, I have for sure. And I don't know if it's, we've come all the way there. I'm sure as the generations progress, it's going to just get more and more regular. And post-COVID, people staying home for different reasons, you know, it's become way more normal. But from a from just a gender equity standpoint, I hope the tide is turning. I'm sure not not fast enough for, for most people's liking. 
I love, I, you know, you get the occasional employee, whether it's male or female, but like a male employee would come in and say, kind of like hat in hand, nervous to have a conversation. And you say, you know, what, you know, what's going on? Well, I'd like to take some time off to uh, coach this soccer team. So I'm going to have to leave at Thursdays at 4.30 or whatever. And you're like, yeah, that's fantastic. Please, that's, fan- you know, great that you do that. There still is the stigma of like choosing your family over work during whether it's work hours or not work hours. I think you'll find that if you're the kind of person who wants to do that, you're going to have to start you fight to find the right company culture that uh, is supportive of your family life as well. Mary, listening to this conversation, what do you think? Are you just horrified? Do you think, well, of course, the guys need to step up as much as the women. What, tell us, how, what, what do you think about this conversation? I've grown up in a different dynamic than you did, obviously. And by the time I entered the workforce, it's um, very different. But we still see it pre-COVID. There were so many women working in the workplace. And as COVID happened, I think they're projecting that that number of women will not re-enter until like 2030, maybe even further out. So as much as it has shifted, and I see it at work all the time, right? We have both men and women that'll call in and say, you know, I have to stay home, my kid's sick. But even with that change, I think it's still proportionately affects women more than it does men. But like Mark was saying, you know, it's a demographic change. It's something that will continue to improve, in my opinion, and kind of even out. I think as the old style leadership model becomes extinct, and believe me, I'm doing everything in my power to make that happen. (laughs) But as, as we transform this industry and the leadership model in this industry, it will evolve. Because if we don't, we're not going to have Gen Z. We're not going to have a workforce. There will be no transformation because there will be no workforce. I think if the corporations want you know, the Mary Masons of the world, the future stars, they're going to need to uh, accommodate. And, and when you come in with that expectation of like, this is how I'm going to be treated, I'm, I'm going to do this, or this is what my family is going to come first, and you enter your career that way, I, I think it's fantastic. You know, I hope that that is something that comes out of, whether it's post-COVID or just the change of generations is, you know, people focus more on their families and are, and are encouraged to do so really. Mary, what are the leadership traits for the future? What are the leadership traits that you want to see in a leader? You represent the future generation of our workforce. It's really important, I think, for our audience to understand from your perspective, what are some of the critical leadership traits? For me, my top three are resilience, trust, and empowerment. You need a resilient leader, especially in automotive, to handle all of the things that the industry throws at us, that life and supply chain and labor shortages and all kinds of different issues have been throwing at us lately. And you need somebody to put trust into and demonstrate that resilience from a leadership perspective. Trust, like I was saying, with uh, what Mary has fostered with her team. I think it's really important to have that relationship and repertoire with your employees to be able to have them give you honest feedback, to get criticism. You don't want sycophants on the team, right? You can't just agree to everything. So really having that trusting relationship to push back where necessary and also to be able to rely on your team. And then empowerment as well. My leaders have really empowered me at my company. It's something that I greatly appreciate. Um, it's how you build future leadership for sure. Yeah, I think empowerment is, is a huge issue because you talk to any leader and they'll say, oh, I empower my team. And then the next thing you know, they're the most ridiculous micromanager on the planet. But in their own head, in their own mind, 
they practice empowerment. You got to give people things that really throw them in the deep end and let them sink or swim and provide that that safe environment so they can fail and experience and learn. That's what empowerment is. You can't, they're not just words that you say or something that you put on a values list and you don't actually practice it. And from what I've seen with Gen Z coming into the workforce right now is you have no tolerance for this. Oh, well, you know, you better stay in that position for a year or two or five years before we move you to the next one because you're not ready. You got to do your time. That used to be something that we were told all the time. You got to do your time in that position. Uh, I'm thinking that doesn't sit well with you, Mary, does it? No, it doesn't. I think we're all individuals and there are people that would really excel after being in a role for maybe only six to nine months. It's time to look at what kind of stretch projects can we give them? What else can they take on? Not necessarily promotion at that time, but what else can they take on to develop and continue um, towards that path? And then there's other people that might be a very good performer, but they're just not ready to take on that next step. So I think it's really important to take the individuals and not just have a check sheet that says that, you know, you have to be in entry-level position for three years and then you have to move into the next level for four years. And then we can look at like a manager level. I think it's important to take things and take people as they are. Yeah, absolutely. So message to leadership out there. If you've got a policy or procedure in your HR department that says you've got to stay in a position for a certain amount of time, you might as well rip it up right now. <laughs> Mark, what about you? What are the most important leadership traits for you? So I've, I'm lucky enough to have a, a great boss. I, I've worked for him for a long time at a couple of different companies, and I've got a great executive leadership team. And for me, it, it comes down to trust. So I've heard your podcast several times. I'm you know familiar. We've talked about the 21 traits of leaders, and they are all essential. For me, it, it is trust. So you know, you get to a point in your life where you say, you know, I'm the only one in my household working. I've got kids to feed. I need to trust you that you're looking out for me. I need that you to trust me that you think I'm doing a good job and we're have transparent, honest feedback. And really, I I need to trust them. Do I trust their capabilities as leaders? Are they are they going to lead this company to be successful, right? So I trust my leadership that they're making the right decisions, that they're setting our company up for success and that I can retire from here and I'm not going to be scrambling to find some other job when they do something I don't agree with or whatever. So I think from a leadership standpoint, as long as I have clear goals and objectives, I've been told what the expectation is and I'm given the freedom to go try to meet those challenges however I want to, I will be happy with that. Like I like making order out of chaos. I don't need things to be perfect. I'll you know, do my best to try to make it perfect or strive for perfection. But if you don't trust that I'm able to do that, and I don't trust that you're going to take care of me, if I if I do that, then uh, it's not going to work out. So yeah, trust for me is, is huge. Yeah. You said something about, I have to put food on the table. And here's something that leaders often don't think about. And that is being a leader in any company. It's an awesome responsibility because you have the say on whether the person gets a paycheck. When you control the paycheck, you control their lives. You control their ability to pay their mortgage, to put food on the table, and to live the life they want to live. And so many people don't realize that power that they have over people's lives. And it's something that you've got to be very careful with. And it's something that you have to respect. And I always knew 
that as outspoken as I was in my career, and not all the time, but I was a lot of the time, but I always knew there was a line that I would not push my boss too far because I knew he had the power to fire me. And I had a mortgage and a child. I was a single mom. I'm not going to push that guy so far that he's going to be so pissed off that he's going to fire me. Imagine if we could all come to work without that fear, without that underlying fear. Oh, if I upset this person too much, you know, there's a chance that they could fire me. Or if I upset one of his or her in, if in the inner circle, if I upset one of those people, that then my life could could go badly. <laughs> Things could go really bad. And I don't want that to happen. We put this filter on our, our, our minds and what we say because we don't want to be judged and we, we don't want to get fired. But imagine a world where the trust was there, the empowerment was there, the leadership was there, the environment was there where you could show up every day, be who you are, put your voice forward. Imagine what that would feel like. Mary, what do you think? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? It would. You know, I think that it ties back into trust and empowerment to be able to focus on what you're there to do and to not have to worry about voicing your opinion professionally, but giving feedback and pushing back. Because ultimately, sometimes the person that has the ultimate responsibility and the ultimate say isn't right in what they have in mind and the path that they want to go down isn't right. And you can fight that and give feedback. But like you said, Jan, there is a line where you have to stop and ultimately they're the one calling the shot, right? And I think that if you're able to continue to push, it would help better the business. And especially to dealing with leaders who have egos, because not everybody um, has been able to build the kind of environment that Mary's been able to build. The people that have egos, I think that you can't push them nearly as hard, right? So they're getting less feedback from their team and they're more likely to have people just say, yes, let's do it. Go with the flow. Yeah. And there's so much power in, in human creativity. It's There's so much there that you as a leader can completely unleash to the benefit of your leadership and your mission and your company and your team. But you've got to be able to provide that environment. And Mark, it sounds like you've got some of that where you work. Yeah, I think I'm, you know, as close to that utopia you, you described as uh, I'm probably going to get, or as anyone's probably going to get in their career. Everyone always has a boss, right? Even if you're the CEO, you got a board of directors and you're accountable to someone. I've been lucky and I've worked for some great men and women throughout my career. I've seen some really good examples and I've tried to pull from every single one of them. And I think it's a lot of like, how did that make me feel when that situation came up? Okay. I never want to make someone feel like that. Or well, I always want to make someone feel like that. I, I want to, I want to manage that way. I want to handle these situations this way. But uh, I've had some great examples and some great mentors in the, in the industry that uh, I tried to uh, try to draw from. I like what you just said then. You said, how does that make me feel? And when I'm working with clients, I always joke and talk about the F-bomb. And, they, you know, immediately they go, oh, what's she going to swear? I say, no, no, no. You need to start asking people how they feel. That's the F-bomb you need to start dropping. And it could be, how do you feel about a goal? How do you feel about a strategy? Or how do you feel about something that just happened? But we've got to tap into the emotional side of people. It's not all about the metrics. There's this emotional component that has to come along with it. 
I'm doing everything I can with my clients to encourage more of that conversation. Uh, do you see that, Mary? Do you see that shift in leadership where people are starting to talk more about the emotional side? I definitely think so. I've heard a lot recently, like your perception is your reality. So how you're perceiving something, even if that's not the message that I intended to give, but if the recipient is perceiving it that way, that is how they're going to feel about it. And so taking that step back and asking people how they feel about projects that they're working on, goals, um, policies, I think it's really important. It also helps to build more engagement because they're going to feel more valued and you're letting them know that they're valued. And to some extent also um, helps with trust and helps to empower them as well because it forces them to pause. And how do I feel about this? Am I doing this because I think it's the right thing to do, the smart thing to do, or am I doing this because that's the way that we've always done it? Good point. Well, in closing today, I have to ask you, uh, since we've been deconstructing Mary Buxiger's episode. So Mary Mason, would you work for Mary at Lucerne? Yes, I would. She sounds like a fantastic leader. Mark, would you? Uh, I would work for her. I would not fight her. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's the quote for this episode. I will work for her, but I will not fight her. (laughs) I'd throw a squirrel at her maybe, but not. uh, I'd throw a squirrel at her, but I wouldn't want to get in the ring with her, right? Absolutely (laughs) not. Yes, yes. Okay, lovely. Well, Mary Mason, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Jan. Mark Hebert. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Automotive Leaders Podcast. Click the listen link in the show notes to subscribe for free on your platform of choice. And don't forget to download the 21 Traits of Authentic Leadership PDF by clicking on the link below. And remember, stay true to yourself, be you, and lead with gravitas, the hallmark of authentic leadership.